0: Hi, I'm Shane Robertson and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Hope you have your Bibles this morning. Let me invite you to Acts chapter number 18. Jesus is moving in Paul's life, and Paul is telling everybody that he comes in contact with about his Jesus. And in this particular passage of Scripture, I want you to notice another individual that shows up on the scene, a man by the name of Apollos. When we look at this text, beginning in verse number 18, and we read all the way down to verse number 28, we're going to close out chapter number 18. But I want you to notice biblical lessons from bold believers. Here are two bold believers for Jesus Christ. And let me just say this parenthetically if we ever needed any bold believers for jesus christ it's today we need some people that are just set on fire jesus christ and are bold enough to live with biblical clarity and not be ashamed of the gospel of jesus christ knowing that it is jesus that changed our life did jesus change anybody's life today say amen right there man i'm telling you what he changed paul's life to a capacity that he wanted to tell everybody that he came in contact with about Jesus. Look at what the Bible says beginning in verse number 18. The Bible says there, and so Paul still remained a good while. Now, where's he at? Remember, Paul's in Corinth. And as he is in Corinth, he's going to stay there for 18 months. And the reason why he's in Corinth is because he's been run out of Athens and they've threatened him again. They've mocked him. They've laughed at him. And so he's gone to Corinth, the Las Vegas of the first century. And he goes in there, and verse number 18 says, Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Syntyreia, for he had taken a vow. So Syntyreia is a port in southern Corinth. He gets to that port. Before he gets on a ship, he has his hair cut, And the Bible says the reason why he has a haircut is because he made a promise to God. Verse 19, and he came to Ephesus, and he left them, that's Aquila and Priscilla, in Ephesus. But he entered himself into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. That's something he loves to do. Every city he goes in, he goes right into the synagogue, and he begins to say, let me tell you about my Jesus and how my Jesus changed my life. And then in verse number 20, When they ask him to stay longer, here's something that don't normally happen. When the Jews asked him to stay longer, he did not consent. He said, no, he said, he's been waiting on this opportunity, remember. Every time he's gone in here, you've seen a revival then a riot. Finally, we've got a revival here in this port city. And they say, will you please stay a little bit longer? We want to hear what you have to say. He says, can't do it. I got to get on that ship. Look at what he says in verse number 21. But he took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed. From Ephesus. So he left Ephesus, left Aquila and Priscilla there. They're going to start doing their thing and teaching and setting the stage for a church that's going to be developed there in that city port. Verse 22 says And when he had landed at Caesarea and had gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch and he spent some time there. He departed and went over into the region of Galatia and Phagra in order, strengthening all the disciples. This is the beginning of his third missionary journey in verse number 23. Verse 24. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born of Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the Spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to, to, cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him, and when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace." For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. When you look at this passage of Scripture in its context, there's no doubt that these two individuals that we see... In this paragraph, or in these two paragraphs, had some lessons that they're trying to communicate to us. And as the Holy Spirit is our guide, and loving the Word of God as we do, and recognizing that the Word of God, the Bible, is the frequency by which God is communicating with us today, it is a great joy to look into this text and see that there are two lessons that we learn from these bold believers in Jesus Christ. I want to share those lessons with you this morning. Lesson number one. The first one is found in verses 18 through 23. This will be, first of all, a lesson from Paul. A lesson from Paul. When you read verses 18 through 23, you walk away with this knowledge from the lesson that Paul gives us. It is this. Keep your promise to God. That's the lesson. The lesson Paul wants to communicate to you and I today is to keep your promise to God. Now, we're living in in a culture and an age, and we were born and we were raised to keep our promises. Now, a lot of times, we don't see a lot of promises kept, especially from those that are in higher-ups, those that we have elected to be an authority over us. It seems that we're living in an age where people just say what they want to say in order to get to where they need to get. The bottom line is simply this. As a born-again child of God, we need to keep our promise. We need to let our yes be yes, and we need to let our no be no. And Paul had made a promise to God, and this promise to God affected some things in his life. When you read the text, it's very evident that what happened here is that Paul made a promise or a vow to God, and this promise or vow that he made was the vow of the Nazarite. The vow of the Nazarite. Now, in order to understand the vow of the Nazarites, you've got to go all the way to the Old Testament, to Numbers chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, and specifically even further, but verse 1 and 2, we see the four basic things that are contained in the Old Testament that give us the Nazarite vow. Now, let me say this. It's very important to understand there is a vast difference between the Nazarite vow and a Nazarene. Jesus was from Nazareth. Everybody that came out of Nazareth was a Nazarite. That was a person. A Nazarite vow, or excuse me, a Nazarene. A Nazarite vow was a specific promise in the Old Testament that was made from people that loved God that was an independent, individual promise that carried some specific terms. Now, let me say this. Paul has got a lot of heat. If you study this text, you'll notice that there are commentators that are just furious at Paul that he would do this. Why? Well, in order to understand why they're upset as to why he did this, uh, we've got to understand what the Nazarite vow is all about. So when you look at the Nazarite vow in Numbers chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, you, you see that there are four things that are required for someone to take a Nazarite vow. Number one, the first thing they've got to do is they've got to make a formal promise to God. They've got to, there's got to be a time, much like happens when we go to court in a courtroom where you put your hand on a Bible and raise your right hand and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. It's a very similar um, opportunity in taking this vow, but it's one to which you don't swear, you promise. I am promising that I'm going to keep this Nazarite vow and then you set the term limits from point A to point B for this time period. I'm going to do that. It's got to be a formal expression. Uh, The text doesn't say, but by all accounts, just from my personal study, it would seem logical to me that Paul made this promise to God before he entered into Corinth. He's come out out uh, uh, out of Athens, Rome, He's going into the most liberal, one of the most hedonistic cities in the world. And he wants God to know, and he wants to make sure before God, that he keeps his promise and he doesn't dive in into what's going on in Corinth. He does not want to participate in the the spiritual uh, debauchery that's happening at Corinth. He wants to make God's name great. So he makes a promise to God. He says, God, for as long as I'm here, which is going to be about 18 months, he says, I'm going to commit myself to you, and I'm going to do so with the vow of the Nazarite. So number one, that's the first thing he did. Number two, the second thing he had to do is he had to commit to drinking zero wine, zero alcohol. He had to commit to eating zero grapes. In fact, he couldn't eat anything that grew on a vine. So he had to take this vow of abstinence completely. He couldn't couldn't divulge in anything at all. Number three, the third thing he had to do is he had to commit to not cutting his hair for the period that he delegated. So in this case, it seems logical that he made the commitment for 18 months, a year and a half. He says, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to commit to this for 18 months. So he didn't cut his hair. And then the fourth thing, according to Numbers, uh, chapter number 6, verse 1 and 2, is he had to commit to not touching or being around a dead person at all. This means no funerals. He could not conduct funerals. He couldn't do anything of that nature. Couldn't even attend a funeral for 18 months. The purpose of this vow was separation from the world and consecration to God. And that's why Paul got a bad rap from commentators and others. Because Jesus is the one that fulfills all of that in us. So in regards to the Nazarite vow today, you might say, well, why don't we do this today? Why don't we take this vow today? Because we don't need to. Jesus is the Nazarite vow for us. Uh, We don't take the Nazarite vow because we fear God. We have trusted Jesus Christ, and because we've trusted Christ as our Savior... He has now fulfilled this, this, if you would, this separation from the world and this consecration unto God. So, the problem with this is that Christ is sufficient to do everything that we need, and he did so on Calvary's cross. So, here's the question Was Paul wrong in taking that vow? That, that's the big debate. I would submit to you today in saying this remember, the New Testament has not been complete. Paul is going 100% upon his Jewish heritage as well as the Holy Spirit speaking truth into his life. Paul is on a journey of spiritual growth as the Holy Spirit speaks to him and he writes these epistles to each and every one of these churches as well as to 1 Timothy and all of these, 2 Timothy, as he writes these letters, if you will, He writes them from the perspective of the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of him. And as the Spirit speaks to him, he writes them out. But remember, Paul is growing in his faith. And he's not going to fully understand this issue of the Nazarite vow. And as a matter of fact, he's getting closer and closer to what his final thoughts are going to be on this Nazarite vow. But it's a journey for him. So when we look at this journey for him, I don't think and I, I really believe it's here for a purpose. And it's for the purpose of connecting with you and I that we ought to keep our promise to God. Right. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, we took on the responsibility as Christians of the Great Commission. And upon taking that responsibility, it is our job as a commitment to God to take the Great Commission all over the world. At Maysville Baptist Church, we say it this way, loving God, loving others, and serving the world. We promise as members of Maysville Baptist Church that we're going to love God, love others, and serve the world. We are, in fact, fulfilling The promise that God has given us in regards to getting the message of the gospel out to a lost and dying world. And so Paul is going to understand this more and more as you see this journey. What you're going to find, though, is he's going to do the same thing. He's going to challenge others the same way to take the Nazarite vow in Acts chapter 21 in verses 20 through 24. He's going to do it again. He's going to say, look, you just need to take the Nazarite vow. Somewhere, but after Acts chapter 20, David, something clicks in his mind and in his heart, and the Spirit of God speaks to him so plainly that he finally gets settled on the Nazarite vow. Let me show you, if you have your Bibles, turn, if you would, and find Romans chapter number 1. In Romans, uh, excuse me, chapter 12, not not chapter 1, Romans chapter 12. Beginning in verse number one, here is Paul's conclusion about this Nazarite vow in regards to how we make promises to God. He tells the church back at Rome again, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, the term there is brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here is Paul's conclusion on the Nazarite vow. He says, you are not to promise God you're going to do good for a certain period of time, not cut your hair, make all these vows and promises to God. You don't have to do that now because you present your body to God as a living sacrifice to him. And it is for the rest of your living life. And he says this in the text. He says this is your reasonable service. That is to say, in the Greek, he's giving us this information that this is your living act of worship. You're giving yourself to the Lord every single day, not just for a season or a period of time. But notice, back over in Acts, chapter number 18, for 18 months, Paul is committing to this Nazarite vow, and he's going to keep his promise to God. Brothers and sisters, I'd say this. In regards to being born-again children of God, when we make a promise to God, we ought to keep it. You think about the promises we make to God. One of the promises that we make to God that I think of more than anyone is the promise that we made at marriage. Before God, we promised God before marriage that we were going to love our spouse. And we committed to Him to love our spouse. One of the most tragic things I see in, the, in today's culture... As a Christian, and I've watched it, I've watched it through the years, I've watched it get worse. How that born again children of God are unwilling to forgive, and with hardnesses of heart, they will not forgive their spouse. It's a tragedy. Now, the scripture is very plain God does not want anybody to be in an abusive relationship. That's something totally different. I'm talking about the 1960s when we thought we were smarter than God and we said, well, let's just put irreconcilable differences in here. As a Christian, there ought not to be any irre- irreconcilable differences. Especially when we made a promise to God in relationship to our spouse. So I think about that promise that we made. Did we really mean it? Do we really want to keep the promise that we made in front of God? Paul said, yes, I'm going to commit. I'm going to co- continue to fulfill the promise that I made to God, which means this. In the Nazarite vow, he had to let his hair grow, and he had to get to the point that when it was over, he's about to leave Corinth, so it's, it's over. He's done. Eighteen months later, he sits down in the barber chair there at that port city. He says, give me a buzz. And they, they get him. They, they give him a buzz there. He collects all the hair. Now, here's what he's got to do. He's got to take that hair, and he's got to go all the way to Jerusalem, and he's got to go into the synagogue, and he's got to lay it on the altar and say, I'm done with the vow. I fulfilled my promise. That's what he's got to do. Nothing is going to detract him. Nothing is going to deter him. Nothing is going to pull him off course. He said, I made this commitment to God and I'm going to do everything that I need to do to, to, to fulfill this commitment to God. And that means it's going to affect some things. Let me just say this, dear brother and sister. If you're going to keep the promise that you made to God, it's going to affect some folks. It's going to affect some situations. When you look at Paul's life, you see that it affected four areas of his life. Let me show them to you really, really quickly because the promise that we made to God affects these same four areas. Number one, it affects your family. It affects your family. If you, when you make a promise to God, you want to fulfill that promise, it will affect your family. When you look at Paul's family, you cannot deny the family that he has now. That is the church family that he has They're dependent upon him, they need him, they want him there, but what does Paul say? Paul says, what's more important than your need for me is for me to fulfill the promise that God gave me. Notice who all's there, if you would. You'll have to turn back to chapter 18, verse number 5. There are two people that are following him wherever he goes right now. And that, uh, if you were, are Aquila and Priscilla. But we also know that Silas and Timothy are following him everywhere that they go to. Look at verse number 5. The Bible says there, Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia. And Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. He's got Silas and Timothy following him. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 7. The Bible says that also there's a man by the name of Justice that has come to him. In verse number 8, the Bible says there's another family member that joins. A man by the name of Crispus has come to him. Verse number 10 says Jesus speaks to him in a vision and tells him, I have many people in this city. There's a lot of family members here you don't know about, uh, Paul. In verse number 17, there's Sothenes, He comes, and he is born again. And he knows Jesus Christ as the Savior, so he's in the family. And then you've got Priscilla and Aquila, again, in verse number 18, that are following him wherever he goes. When they get to to Ephesus, he says, Whoa, you can't go any further with me. Aquila and Priscilla, you've got to stay here. Just like I left all the family members in Corinth, now I'm leaving you two here. He's already sent Timothy all the way to Philippi. He's going to get on a ship now and off he's going to Jerusalem to fulfill this commitment. It affected his family. Number two, the second thing it affects, it affects your actions. It affects your actions. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 18. The Bible tells us there in the text, the scripture says that uh, in the latter part of the verse, when he left Aquila and Priscilla there in Ephesus, the Bible says that he cut his hair there at that port city of Corinth. It affected his actions. He said, I made a promise. I'm going to fulfill that promise. It's affected my family, but it's also going to affect what I do. He knew the requirements of the Nazarite vow. And so he had to cut his hair when it was over. Many say that In order for it to be complete, a lot of folks would take the time to go all the way to Jerusalem and then have their hair cut, but not Paul. Paul said, 18 months, I I did it when I went into Corinth. That's That's what the context reads. And he did it when he came out of Corinth. So the whole time he was in Corinth, he said, this is the time period, 18 months when I made this promise to God. So as he leaves, he cuts his hair. Brothers and sisters, I know that in regards to the actions that we have in Jesus Christ, that we're not going to physically cut our hair as a commitment to God, but we did commit in regards to knowing Christ as our Savior to grow in our faith. And in growing in our faith, it means that there's some actions that we've got to participate in. Actions like studying and reading the Word of God. Uh, Actions like growing up in our faith. Uh, Actions like being a part of worship and making it a priority in our lives. Uh, actions uh, as if praying and spending time in prayer and letting prayer be a central motivating factor in our lives as we grow up as born-again children of God. It ought to affect our actions. Uh, number three, there's a third one it ought to affect. It ought to affect our travels. It ought to affect our travels. When you look at verses 18 through 22, you'll see all the places that he stops in. But he never stopped and settled in any place. Why? Because he had a goal. He knew where he was going. He had to get to Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, we are the same travelers. And while we're not going to Jerusalem in the Middle East, we're going to that heavenly Jerusalem. We are traveling, if you would, in this land from port to port, from city to city, from location to location. And Paul may have went from Syria and went to Ephesus and then to Jerusalem. But brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, we are on a journey too. And we might go from our house to Walmart, could I get a witness, and then over to England. And then over to this place or that place We are going to specific places So people can see Jesus in us hey. It affects our travels And then last of all it affects our character Verse number 23 is the start of his third missionary journey After he lays his hair on the altar And he ends the vow The Bible says that he goes to Galatia and phygra And he does that in order Strengthening all the disciples. You see in the text here what you see is a balance of missions. Paul clearly understood the goal in any mission trip is to make disciples. And in order to make disciples, you've got to have two things. You've got to have evangelism, and you also have to have discipleship. Paul was unwilling to just go to these places and win them to Christ and never come back to disciple them. That's out of balance. So, bringing an imbalance when you look at Paul's first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, and his third missionary journey, every time he brought balance to his mission trips as he would come in, win them to Christ, but then he also would disciple them. And in this text, by the third missionary trip in Galatia and Phygra, there as he's going to them in order, what's he doing? Strengthening all the disciples, he is discipling the disciples. And what's he trying to encourage them to do? Be a church planting church. He wants them and desires of them to do just like the church at Antioch and reproduce themselves all through the regions. And God is using them mightily as Paul fulfills his promise to God in making sure he clearly articulates the purpose of That God has placed him on this earth for. Remember the purpose why God has placed us here. We are to love God, love others, and serve the world. The lesson that we learn from Paul is keep your promise to God. Number two, there's a second lesson we learn here very quickly. That second lesson, if you will, is found uh, in in verses 24 through 28. This, we find, is the lesson from Apollos. The lesson from Apollos. When you read verses 24 through 28, you walk away with this lesson that Apollos teaches us. That is that we, as Christians, are to develop an other's mindset. We are to develop an other's mindset. Now, this is totally contrary to what we're taught in our culture today. Our culture says you look out for yourself. Uh, Don't put your trust in anybody. Uh, You got to be, watch out for number one. And it doesn't matter how many people you got to climb on, you climb, crawl, steal, cheat to get to wherever it is you want to be. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and he says that in order for us to fulfill the Great Commission, we must have an other's mindset. And here God gives us an example in verses 24 through 28 by giving us a man by the name of Apollos. And when we see Apollos and we see his life, we see that he greatly... Notice verse number 27. Here it is in the latter part. Verse 27, the latter part of verse 27, he says, He greatly helped those who had believed through grace. The only way for you to have another's mindset is you've got to have another's mindset with the knowledge of grace. Because I'm telling you what, people will tick you off. Can I get a witness right there? Ernest, you don't believe that? You just drive around 285. Bless God, they will make you so mad. I'm telling you what, we're living in a culture, we have zero patience today. I mean, we just don't. We are in such a hurry. To get from point A to point B. And I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody. I'm not, don't you dare think I'm standing up here uh, thinking I'm better than anybody else and I don't have it. Uh, bless God, I got a horn too. <laughs> toot, toot. <laughs> <laughs> My kid showed me a video online about this guy. He, had, uh, he, he's just, he said, We need different, different types of horns. We need a, a horn when you're angry. <laughs> But we need a horn just to encourage, you know, like when the light turns green and somebody's still on their phone. Toot, toot. We need different kinds of horns. Uh, I try to let my horn do that, but a a lot of times you just get horn happy. Ah! Y'all don't know what I'm talking about, do you? In order to minister to others, we must have grace we've got to view others through the lens of grace. Could I just say this? Here's what I'm I'm challenging us to do as Christians. Let's look at other people the same way that God looked at us. Man, when I think about what a wretch I am. When I think about how horrible of a person that I am. Yet God loves me warts and all. Because he loves me through the lens of grace. And may we have that same grace for others as Jesus had for us. Right. Apollos got it. He got it. And the reason why he had it is because there were some things that have happened in his life that helped him develop and develop to have an other's mindset. If you're going to develop another's other's mindset and look through the lens of grace, then what do we need? What, what do we need? Well, it's in the text. I want you to look at it. It's very fascinating. There's several of them. I'll go quickly. Number one, the first one is, is we've got to be knowledgeable. We've got to be knowledgeable. That's found in verses 26 and 27. A lot of times we think we can grow spiritually by osmosis. You know, we just think that we can just take our Bible and say, okay, God... Pour it in me. (laughs) Pour it in me. And it's not that easy. Uh, We've got to dive into the scripture. And we see Apollos did this. Look at what the Bible says. Notice what the scripture says about him. Number one, the Bible says in verse 24, he was born in Alexandria. That is the pinnacle of education. The pinnacle of education. He got the best of the best. And not only did he get the best of the best, he got the best of the best from somebody that told him about Jesus. Hey. And yes, it was it was the gospel according to John the Baptist. But he knew it, he received it, he accepted it. Why? Because he was taught to search the Scriptures. And the Scriptures pointed to a Messiah. John the Baptist talked about the Messiah. And here he is, Apollos said, I want that. And he got... Saved and was baptized by the baptism of John. And the Bible says next that he was an eloquent man. If you have your pens, I would underline this word eloquent because it combines the idea of being educated as well as being well-spoken. So remember, him coming from Alexandria, one of the most famous educational centers of that day, The Roman seat of Egypt, it boasted of a university that had 700,000 volumes of Jewish publications. It had over a million in its population. And it raised the standard of education to a point where this man was involved in it. He knew it in his head, and he could articulate it with his mouth. Jesus, watch this, Jesus is coming. That's the message he sent. And because Jesus is coming, you've got to repent and be baptized. Number two, the second thing about it. uh, Again, we want to look through the lens of grace and having another's mentality. We see not only do we need to have knowledge that is being eloquent, but number two, we also need to be mighty in scriptures. Look at the text again. He says, not only was he an eloquent man, that he was educated and was articulate, but he was mighty in scriptures. The word mighty there is the same word where we get our English word dynamite. So it's saying here that he, he was not static. He was dynamic. Hey. He, he may, you may have looked at him and said, huh, I bet he's one of them educated guys. Look how he dresses. He, he's all, he looks all, I bet he thinks he knows it all. But he was such a, a humble individual that he had knowledge. He could articulate that knowledge, but he was not a snob. Right. He didn't put his nose in the air. No, look, according to the text, he was mighty in Scripture. He was dynamite when it came to the Word of God, he was passionate about some things. And he was passionate about the scriptures. He was passionate about all those Old Testament uh, verses that talked about the Messiah. He was passionate about his coming. He could say, I'm telling you Jesus is coming because Isaiah said, because Jeremiah said, because Malachi said. He's, He's coming, he's coming. John the Baptist is the forerunner. Jesus is coming. He was mighty. In his scriptures. Number three. He was also instructed in the way of the Lord. Did you see this? He just keeps going. I mean look at this guy. It's like a resume. In verse number 25. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Uh, The word in the Greek here is one which uh, we get our English word catechism. This is an important word. Catechism. Catechism is the way they learned Jewish doctrine and theology. Miriam and I were talking about this the other day. We don't think theology and doctrine is good today. We, we don't want to talk about it. And you're seeing the results right. in our culture today, spiritually speaking, of not putting emphasis on doctrine and theology. Hey. When we're a mile wide and an inch deep. Uh, we, we have bought in the, uh, uh, to the fact that what we need is quantity and not quality. And that is sending many churches on a downward spiral and accepting things and traditions that we truly ought not to be dabbling in. Uh, Things like, like, well, you know what, I'd rather have a pastor that's popular than to have a pastor that's a pioneer. And so you want a popular pastor, man, you go online, you, you, you find all kind of popular guys. I'm not interested in popularity. I'm interested in pioneering the Word of God and getting in there and journeying through the Word of God and letting the Word of God speak to me through the Scriptures, the, the, the frequency by which God operates, and then articulating that truth to the congregation that God has set me over so that one day when I stand before God, I can say, God, it wasn't my Word I pointed out. It was your Word that pointed was pointed out. That's right. That's right. We got such sissy preachers today. Lace on their underwear. Well, let me tell you. Here's how you can have a happy life and a happy wife. And just do this and do this and do this. Here's three ways for you to have a smile today. I'm going to tell you what to put a smile on your face. Have Jesus in your heart. And get hot-hearted about some things according to God. Get passionate about some things of God. Get passionate about the gospel. Get passionate about evangelism. Get passionate about discipleship. And say, listen, we've got to have it. And I'm telling you, the only way to have it is to get back to the catechisms of the Word of God. The doctrines of the Word of God. Why we believe what we believe. Here's Apollos. And Apollos, if you would, has these catechisms that he has. Which is this oral reputation that they would have. Back and forth. Oral reputations. Why do we love God? We love God uh, because the scripture says that we are to love God. Uh, And he just systematically going down through the doctrine on theological positions. in In what they call a catechism or a way. Way of learning that is uh, beneficial and applicable to the one that's learning it. It goes back to that passage of scripture that says, "Do not be a hearer of the word only, but be a doer of the word." Hey. It would do us well to have a Maysville Baptist Church Catechism to, for us to know why we believe what we believe. We find here in the text, this is what happened to Apollos. He had it. He was instructed. There was catechisms in the way of the Lord. Not the way of Calvinism. Not the way of Arminianism. Not not the way of, of any of these other people, but the way of the Lord. Paul gets so upset about this uh, when he writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, Man, he says, some of you say you're of Apollos, some say you're of Paul. You just say, I'm of this one, I'm of that one. He says, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you. You haven't learned the catechisms. You're of the Lord. You're not of Shane's ministry. You're not of Brian's ministry. You're not of David's ministry. You're of the Lord. God forbid somebody stand before God and say, I'm here because I'm of Shane. Shane saved me. Bless God, I didn't save anybody. I can't even save myself. The Lord Jesus is the one that saves. I got to close. I'm out of time, but I still got, I got to give you this one. Look at what he says, because it it just goes off each other. Remember, it's like a resume. He's he's having an other's mentality. And in having this other's mentality, he's eloquent, he's mighty, he's instructed. And then here's the next one. He's fervent in spirit. Look at what the Bible says there in the text, talking about how he's fervent uh, in the spirit. He goes on to say in verse number 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. Spirit. What's the word fervent mean? The word fervent is a Greek word. It means to boil over. To boil over. It's look, don't, don't get this wrong. It's not talking about boiling over in anger. No, that's not the that's not the, the position he's taking. He's boiling over with passion because he wants to see people saved. So Apollos, even though he's teaching if you will, the, 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 the gospel according to John the Baptist, he's doing so with a pure heart, a heart of boiling passion. And as a result of this, this zeal and this enthusiasm, by the way, you know what the best thing to kill zeal and enthusiasm, you know what that is? On, it's called seminary. Hey. <laughs> that will kill the zeal. And so say, why? Let me show you. Can I, can I just... I'm out of time. But can I show you this? Let me show you this. Look at your Bibles. If you've got a study Bible, if, you're, if you've got a study Bible here today, I want you to look at verse number 21. Now, I'm reading from the New King James this morning. But I want to call your attention to a, to a footnote in verse number 21. Here's what the Scripture says. But they took leave of them saying, here, here's, here's Paul, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing, and he sailed from Ephesus. Now, if you've got a footnote in your Bible, and you look at that footnote in the center column, there is a good chance, if you're, if you're looking at anything um, outside of a King James, you're looking at a New King James study Bible or any other study Bible, you're going to see these two initials, N-U. N-U. How many of you see that? You see that N-U. Okay, there's several of you. Okay. Let me point this out to you just real quick. You know what that means? You know what the word "n" means? The word "n" in, in your footnotes, it literally is an initial for the Nestle Almond Greek New Testament. And then the U, the U is a different initial. It means the United Bible Society's third edition. So why, why is that important? It's important because every English text... Goes back to a Greek manuscript or a manuscript, Hebrew and Greek. And when you look at these, you'll notice that there are thousands upon thousands of manuscripts. For example, there are over 5,800 Greek manuscripts. There are 10,000 plus Latin manuscripts. There are 9,300 other various manuscripts that exist, being Syriac, Abotic, Gothic, uh, Ethiopic, Coptic, and Armenian. And so you got all these different manuscripts, but all these manuscripts basically boil down to two categories. One category is the Nestle almond category, and the, and the other is the Textus Receptus. So when you look at this and you see those initials in you, so he's talking about in the Nestle almond text as well as the United Bible Society's text, it omits, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. And what the writers did of this study Bible in an effort to try to strengthen. The validity of the Word of God, they didn't do anything but put it in question. And brothers and sisters, I come to you to, to you today to say this. There is no errors in the Bible. There is no errors. I, from day one, have always, always used the textus receptus. I take some heat from that from my peers, I take some heat from that because there are some things uh, translated from Greek to English that have this tendency to uh, to be archaic, and I see that and I recognize it, and I try to try my best to help interpret and establish a proper interpretation. But I'm here to tell you today that there is no errors in this book, and this book is 100% right. And because it's 100% right, we can accept it. From the perspective of this is God's word to us. Right. And we can apply it because it's the frequency that God uses. In regards for us to fulfill the great commission right. of Jesus Christ. And as your pastor I am committed just as Apollos was committed. To study the word of God. With such uh, a fervency and passion. That you can see it when I preach. And it's not just something that I'm on my high horse about. I had some person tell me, I said, well, man, bless God, he's on his high horse about it. It's not my high horse. I am passionate about the Bible. I love the Word of God. One thing that burns me up more than anything, and I don't care if you bring it digitally, it doesn't matter to me, but by all means, bring your Bibles to church. Why? Because the pastor wants us to be like Apollos and to speak and teach accurately according to the Word of God. Now, let me show you what happens here in the text. Not only do you see, if you would, here in this passage of Scripture, that he's knowledgeable. Number two, and this has got to go real quick because I'm out. Uh, he says, because of this knowledge that he had, verse 26, the Bible says he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. There was this boldness because he knew what the Word of God said. There, if we, One of the reasons why we're intimidated is because we don't know what the Word of God says. Hey. We're biblically illiterate. That goes back to that catechism I'm talking about before. Number two, he says not only be knowledgeable, but he also says be teachable, verse 26 and 27. Remember what happens here. I got, let me sum it up real quick, and then I've got to land the plane. Remember who is going to have to talk to him. Priscilla and Aquila hear him preach, and they look at each other and go, uh-oh. Everything he said is right except for one thing. Jesus has already come and died on the cross and rose again. And so after the service, they take Apollos and they pull him aside. One of the most educated men around. Far more educated than Aquila and Priscilla. Remember, they're tent makers that just love Jesus. And they say, hey, we got some good news for you. The Messiah's come and gone. The Messiah was Jesus Christ He came. John the Baptist baptized him. Spirit like a dove rested upon him. He went to Calvary's cross. John, who was even in, John the Baptist even in question, questioned whether or not he was the Christ. Found that he was. And what was the result? Christ died for our sins, was buried, and third day rose again. This absolutely set, it set Apollos on fire. It would not have set him on fire if, if he'd have been a proud man. But because he loved Jesus, and because he loved the Word of God, he was able to receive from Aquila and Priscilla just exactly what he needed that was the key to unlock his passion for Jesus. So much so that, watch this, not only do we see that you need to be teachable, but you also see that you need to be biblical. Look, Look what the Bible says in verse 27 and 28 as I close. The Bible says, and when he desired... He was taught, and then he desired. There's this desire inside of him. This desire means that there was this deliberate, on purpose mindset that boiled up from inside his heart, and it affected his emotions. And he said, "I got to go. I got to go. I got to go across and tell others about Jesus. I've got to go into Corinth." And with passion, he wanted to cross over into Achaia. And so the brothers and sisters there in Ephesus wrote letters and said, y'all better hang on. This guy right here is about to light you up. He loves Jesus. And he's just what the church needs. And the Bible says, look at verse 27. And when he arrived, here it is. He greatly helped those who had believed through grace. And then... Here here he is being biblical, verse 28. And he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. Showing from the Old Testament scriptures, watch this, that Jesus is the Christ. Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and said, everything you're teaching is true, Apollos. But here's what you need to do. You need to connect What's going on in Nazareth with Jesus Christ? With what John the Baptist was saying? The lights went off. Or the lights went on. And he said, I got it. And he was able to take the Word of God and he was able to point to these Old Testament passages that showed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he did so with such compassion and with such grace that his heart's desire was others. Hey, thank you. Brothers and sisters, I close just simply saying there are two really strong biblical lessons here in the text. The first one is from Paul, and it is keep your promise to God. And the second one is from Apollos. Have another's mentality. Hey. Have another's mindset. Think about others. It's contrary to what uh, the world wants you to do today. <laughs> And it can only be done under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. So I ask you today just simply this. Do you have another's mindset? When's the last time you shared Christ with someone? When's the last time that you were able to pass out a track or share or minister to someone from a perspective of ministry? Others, help somebody, love somebody. Minister to somebody. Give someone the greatest truth of all. And that's Jesus Christ. That's how you love God and keep your promise. And have an others mindset. Could we bow for prayer? Today you might be here and you may have never trusted Christ as Savior. That's something you need to do today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and that's something you'd like to do, would you say something to the Lord like this, just from your heart to God's? Would you say something like this? Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you are the Savior. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I repent of my sins today. And I follow the way of Jesus. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website, or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Matesville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week, where once again, we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.